Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Hello and welcome to Kernels. Uh, if my voice sounds a bit different this week, that's because it is different. I am not Chris Eaton, the usual host. I am Jacob Stowervy, uh, who's appeared on the podcast uh, quite a few times over the past few years. Chris, uh, the film that Chris has been talking about quite regularly uh, is finished. I've seen it with my own eyes, as has Jack Shepard. Hello. How are you? Yeah, good, thank you. Good, good, good. Uh, so we thought it'd be a good idea this week to uh, speak to Chris um, and his co-director, David Rapson. Hello. How are you? Uh, very well, thank you. Glad good, to be here. Good, good, good. Good to have you here. And just ask you guys about the experience of making a film, because uh, we've actually seen it, haven't we, Jack? We have. Yeah. Which is, which is quite terrifying for me, because um, well, you know, I work with you guys a lot, and we watch a lot of fantastic films most weeks, so if you have to have you guys in a screening of a little, tiny, <laughs> small-budget film I've made was uh, a bit terrifying. Yeah. And I was also too drunk to remember your initial reaction to the screening, <laughs> so, so what you say today is going to be of extreme interest. So. Yeah. Great. Well, well, Chris, yeah, Chris was very merry when we arrived. <laughs> I loved that. It was great. And like you say, it must, it must, I didn't actually think about that. It must be weird sitting next to us watching other people's films and then talking about it with us, but then having us there and others there to actually talk about your own film. That's quite kind of bizarre. Yeah, it was, it was a really, really weird night. I really enjoyed it. But like, um, I was a little bit nervous, hence the drunkenness, I think. But it was quite nice because I've played in bands before where you have to get on stage is ultimately is to do the thing and put and actually the performance is there in the mm. moment so you've got to be on it but it was actually quite nice for once to be like everything's done all someone needs to do is hit play and you could actually sit back and relax and enjoy it a little bit more yeah so that's really a, yeah fun being on the other side of the the screening process definitely and how did you feel about it dave um equally nervous um sort of sat at the bar next to chris um it was a weird like fizzing excitement of nerves like we kept I kept standing up and like walking around to because uh, all of the actors and the crew were there th on the night and I remember like occasionally like walking over to um, one of the lead actors Martin for example and tapping him being like oh this bit you're really good at it by the way which is a stupid thing to do during a screening <laughs> but I was just like I was like a puppy I was so, so excited but um, equally share Chris's like super nerves because there were bits when you maybe expected like a big reaction because you're so proud of a certain bit and it doesn't quite land. And mm -hmm. then another bit gets a huge reaction. So it was, it was quite surprising, really terrifying, but ultimately like seriously one of the best nights of my life. It was like really, really fun to like share something and get a reaction. That Who are you most nervous about watching it? Pardon me? Who are you most nervous about seeing it? Um, I guess like friends who weren't involved in the process, cause, like your peers, you're always like worried about their reaction. Any friends who came along, because there were quite a lot of friends who came in the film as like extras or um, a couple of people like stepped up to the plate and actually had speaking parts. Um, and they were all there and they could see how um, it came about and how it was such a, a fun thing to do. Whereas like when you tell someone that you're friends with, like, oh, by the way, we made a film, there's a slight uh, concern about their reaction about it and then <laughs> actually putting it out there. And as Chris says, like, you know, usually when you recommend a film to someone, it's like, oh, I've got this great Wes Anderson film that we're going to recommend. You're really going to like it. And this time it's like, yeah, we've got this micro budget film <laughs> that me and my buddy made. Uh, I hope you like it. So there's mm -hmm. a certain apprehension with sharing with um, people our age, I guess. Yeah. 
We should probably actually talk about the film. You talk about what? It, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and what, tell us what it's about. We should. We and the, the name. name. And, and then, yeah. right, okay, <laughs> that's very true. So, meniscus. Yes. Meniscus is a name. Tell us about that name and that title. Very it's, memorable title. Yeah, meniscus is a word I just someone told me in a bar a couple of years ago. Um, the name for when you fill a drink, say a beer, particularly particularly full to the point where it forms like a surface tension dome. And that, surf- that, that surface tension is being held in place by what surrounds it. And it was just kind of the idea. I mean, there is a lot of beer in the film, a lot of beer being consumed, a lot of beer being consumed on the set as well. And nice. the whole idea of surface tension is kind of metaphorically a little bit what the film w- was about, mm. you know, and that kind of awkwardness. So that was the, that was the thinking there. Sure. And did, when did the title come in? Quite early on, actually. I think it was just like a, just like a working title for was a while. And we were developing the script and we're like, actually stick with it like it's it's kind of interesting mm. makes you maybe want to maybe want to google it or like kind of have some clarification on it so it's funny exactly you what, say that it's exactly what me and jack <laughs> yeah. did we yeah. messaged yeah, we did. each other before though didn't we yeah. oh, have you looked at meniscus the day of the screening uh, yeah we were like let's go. i ne- don't even know what meniscus is <laughs> unfortunately it's also the name for like a kneecap yeah that's <laughs> what we saw <laughs> Some people google it and be like, we were wondering okay, what, what was gonna happen film is this, this film? <laughs> i was rolling with it i was rolling with it um so tell us what it's about as well so should i give the blurb dave yeah go for it it's just a it's a 60 minute film about people in and out of love in london and kind of the idea that the grass is greener on the other side or the grass is fucking phenomenally technicolor on the other side depending on what mode of life you're in often when you're single you're thinking you know i miss what it's like being in a relationship and you're kind of yearning for that but then you can get into a relationship and be like oh being single seems so magical and like mystical and like fun um so we just kind of wanted to explore that really and do it in a way so we wanted to have four characters that are all in different stages of that process um and then i was really interested by the idea of splitting the screen into four Mm. so that the action never ever cuts away because i like like the idea and i think it's true that you might have a blazing row or you might have sex with someone and then they might just go and make a cup of tea mm. and then they might come back later and then something else dramatic happens again. And I thought it was quite nice, the chart that that happens in between, whereas in films, it's usually just bang, that's, that scene's ended. Let's go and find out what's going on in the other subplot. Mm. So yeah, it's about those these four people. And then we kind of work out that they all know each other. They're all friends and they're all supposed, they're all hungover and they're all supposed to be going to a party in the afternoon. And that's where it kind of leads to. It's funny when me and Jack were before before the film began, someone came out to us or, or someone relayed to us that it had been described to them as a um, like a link later version of Twenty Four, <laughs> and I was like, that completely speaks to my interest. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> it speaks to my interest, so I was really hyped. But uh, yeah, and no, it, it really is. What did you What did you make of the uh, Jack the screen split into four? You can be quite worried before. I was slightly worried beforehand that it was going to be either you wouldn't be able to see anything or you would be concentrating on one you're not supposed to be concentrating on. But actually, it went really nicely from one screen to the other. Like there are bits where you have someone sending a text and then it's quite obvious when the speech kind of pops up on someone else's screen and your eyes automatically go Mm. down. So you you always know where you're supposed to be looking. But then you're also kept in attention the whole time. Like if someone's just having a chat in a bedroom, you look over to another screen and suddenly you see someone throwing their dog like a ball or something. So you were constantly kind of, there was something going on, something to look at. So yeah. it was quite a sensory overload at some t- points perhaps. Yeah, I was, I was not sure how it was gonna turn out. I wanted to make the other corners interesting enough that your, your eyes might wander 
and they're like welcome to, but not so interesting that you're distracted. So I wanted them doing quite mundane things, you know, like one character's asleep mm. for like 40 minutes of the film, that sort of thing. But I'm know. glad that sensory overload came through as well. I mean, Chris mentioned it's about sort of like a feeling of um, there's a lot going on. These people are always comparing themselves to other people. And as a viewer, you're literally comparing them. Um, that's certainly intentional as we sort of like built the narrative around that framework. And if it's slightly bamboozling as you're watching it but not too bad that you can still follow it that's the perfect amount of confusing mm. yeah I think only at tiny are, moments sorry usually like, like we are comparing ourselves to other people's lives aren't we on our phones and on other screens mm -hmm. so to have that kind of worked in that sense maybe I hope <laughs> oh, I th what I like in, th in things in general and I know this sounds like something really really silly to say and really obvious but like in TV shows I just love when you kind of meet characters and so you see other, them interact with other characters later on down the line and in this it's kind of like you because you see all the characters and they don't meet and then some do they all do collide and it's like i'm kind of waiting for it's not a tension so much as a i'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how they interweave into each other's lives and I, I think that film your film has that from frame one like and it kind of keeps it throughout i'm delighted to hear that mm. thank you very much and uh, i've got i was going to ask as well the editing <laughs> i mean must have been quite a process it was because you're not just editing one. You must have had hours of footage, two, like hours film. and hours and hours. Yeah. What did you say the other day? It was like four films for the price of none. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Put that on the poster. Yeah. <laughs> four hours of edited footage um, with no, no money. It was like all the all the we called the active storylines were fine. They all slotted together fairly nicely, but all the passive stuff was difficult because those were the bits where we had to cut corners, you know, when someone's just walking the streets of London for a while. Mm. And that's where we found ourselves like short on coverage or something didn't work quite right. And it was quite getting that patchwork together at the end. That was all the scenes came together. Like I was really like, please, I edited it quite quickly. But then those bits were difficult mm. and sound as well was an issue with that. And moving, moving sound between different corners, which is something not something you ever normally have to do was pretty difficult as well. Mm. But yeah, those shoots were quite punishing for those those corners. We did those last, and there was a lot of people that we had to be like, sorry, but you need to be here at 8 a.m. to walk around the streets for, like, two hours so we can just get enough, like, footage for this. Um, was it summer when you were doing it? It was middle was of it? winter. Was it the middle of winter? No <laughs> yeah. way. You've yeah. got good friends. God bless, like, the DOP, Kyle, Chase. He, um, yeah, he put in a lot of, a lot of hours just yeah. shooting continuous takes up until... Like the camera caps off at 15 minutes, just keeping going. Really? So, so we had enough coverage, but yeah. Basically, drinks are on you boys whenever you're out, right? Yeah, yeah. 100%. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's really cool. We should talk about, you mentioned sound, and I don't know about you, Jeff, but part of my uh, biggest takeaway from like the film was the soundtrack. It was amazing. Um, oh, and that. instantly, you want to just kind of go home and put it on Spotify. But I don't think we can. That's Can good we? to hear. Uh, we hope to, I think, yeah. Um, I think we want to get it on Spotify. It was done by my friend Julian, who used to play gu guitar in my band. And um, yeah, he's a really, really talented guy. And I think the the kind of the references were like Kurt Vile, Tobias Gesso Jr., then also some kind of like 60s rock as well. Um, something a bit like lackadaisical. And I really like um, that song Jealous Guy, John Lennon. Mm. Um, and these sort of like kind of sad piano chords. But like, yeah, Julian absolutely nailed that because we, we played him a few tracks like like that and yeah Kurt Vile kind of stuff that me and Chris um, listen to I suppose you can call it a bit slackery which I suppose kind of fits in with what kind of film it is it's, it's not naturally uh, fitting into many genres I suppose mumblecore as a genre is kind of close to what we were doing a lot of like uh, narrative and dialogue heavy um, so those sort of like slightly downbeat songs played well but for Julian he absolutely nailed it by we played him a few tracks that we really liked that me and Chris discussed about 
how they're quite similar to the sort of characters, um, showed Julian the footage. And Julian actually, of course, like worked on the film while we were there, was there while it was happening, showed him key scenes and said, right, we need a song that sounds like what these two are going through right now. And um, for a first time original soundtrack, yeah, he's absolutely score. nailed it. Yeah, um, there's a really nice moment actually where um, there's a scene where um, a guy goes to his ex-girlfriend's house and he ends up kind of like brushing her hair and sort of sensual they shouldn't be doing this way and i thought the score the music he did for that was really good and i told him so and he was just like yeah man i've i've been that guy he just they uh, he kind of actually meant something to him that scene so i think that helped him with the music on it which was quite sweet that is nice so if we talk let's talk about the characters for a second if they want like how what was the process of you creating them and coming up with them like did one of you kind of take the lead on that or was it a very collaborative effort i kind of took the lead on the script but um i think the good thing about working with Dave is like, I'm very much single in my life and have been throughout the meniscus experience and Dave got married during it. So uh, man. we have, mm-hmm. yeah, we have people on very different sides of the, the split. So sometimes I can be too cynical and he can rein me in <laughs> and it works in the other, the other way too. <laughs> yeah. So we had, there are characters that I maybe identify with a little bit more and then characters you probably do a bit. Right. Um, so I think, yeah, in terms of having that, having the idea of a character that is in each, each possibility of in and out of a relationship, we kind of honed, we kind of zeroed in on a character maybe that we each kind of felt more akin to. Mm. Certainly, or at least friends. Yeah, I, I guess to answer your question, it came about through us talking about each other as we're like extremely close friends have been since school. Um, lots of friends who worked in the film. Um, there was a lot of relationships in this film, you know, people who made the music, who we wrote it together, people who acted in it. And where those characters came from is us talking about our lives, our friends' lives and stuff like that. Um, that all quite came quite naturally, and by way of it's sort of similar to what we were saying earlier about like those comparisons. You know, we talk about um, people looking and compare each other's lives and stuff. And yeah, we do we do try and like remind each other um, if you have a bit of a moan about one thing. You know, um, remember to see a bit of perspective, which hopefully comes through in the film. Like there, there are times when single characters are talking about how they just crave a bit of stability. There are times when characters in like the long-term relationships in the film are craving that freedom, and then we, when these characters eventually like meet up and have a bit of a dialogue about that, that's conversations that me and Chris have kind of had. So those characters were like very naturally formed. Mm. About like there were definitely people in the screening room actually who I kind of was thinking about when I was writing the script as well. Really, <laughs> it was just kind of worrying. Is like are they going to see themselves in this? Because you yeah. know everything you write is autobiographical to some extent it's just, you've been absorbed in some way mm. by more, osmosis because it's someone near you or more so for you Chris because you actually ended up playing one of the characters <laughs> did yeah yeah so what, when did that decision come about that was partly by necessity of limited budget and if you can play a character in your own movie like you should because it's just so much cheaper like and you know that you're broadly going to get you're not going to be able to bring a different element like an actor will but you know you're going to get the part because you wrote it mm. and also you know that you're going to be there at 8am sharp no matter what going to give 110% because it's your thing mm. so I think when you're strapped to budget it's just a, a no brainer to do that if you feel like you can and I wasn't really sure if I could but I feel like it came off alright <laughs> did, did, have you got a uh, previous acting experience? No I've only d- I've wow. done in a few classes and um, Martin in the film as well who plays Anish um, he's a stand up comic he'd never acted before either but wow. I, I couldn't really judge myself because, you know, you're too close to it. But yeah. I felt like I could judge him. And I thought he'd put in as good performances like all the professional actors in it. So mm-hmm. I, I agree. I think maybe you're not giving yourself enough credit. Like, I know it was a, quite an academic choice to act as Tom. 
because it lent well to um, the parts of the film that like you wrote most naturally. But I think you did an amazing job. And Martin as well, who's a stand-up comic, as you say, um, we mentioned Julian earlier, who like this is his first time making a soundtrack. There's quite a, a bit of um, like amateur success in Meniscus. And yeah. Uh, and a few people who have gone on really well, like um, people who worked on Meniscus, which was, you know, made like we started making it, um, you know, 18 months ago, I guess, maybe longer. Um, there are guys who, um, being in their like mid-20s, late 20s, in 18 months have now like gone on from strength to strength. Um, like It was like they were doing it as like a, a, a bit job or like a hobby at that point, And now they're like on sets every day, which oh, is really, really like nice to see. Yeah, Kelpie's in LA now. Yeah, yeah. People, you're like, well, we couldn't get you now because you're now like a big deal in doing it. <laughs> oh, yeah. You try and assemble the cast and crew of Meniscus now, and like, you absolutely can't. Like, really? we couldn't get them all to the screening because they're working. They're doing. It was, you know, it was a, it was a, a real time for loads of people who are just getting started in in, in film, getting together, and um, people have gone on to be absolutely smashing it by now. That's really exciting. Yeah, it's really exciting to watch. Yeah. So, how did you go about getting these people together? That's really. Um, that's really where the internet's great. Like you couldn't hmm. have done this like 15 years ago. It's all online. Yeah, some of the parts we cast from actors we knew and then f actor friends of theirs. But yeah, online as well. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah, a lot of people had to work for free or only work for expenses, but I like to think that we did right by them. And, you know, off the back of this, you know, they, they're most of them seem to be really pleased with it and really want to like use the footage to and use the film to help them get where they want to go. So. Mm. Um, so there, yeah. there, are, there are websites I'm sure there are numerous um, but what we did was we put up, there's a website where you can put your script up certain parts of the script anyway excerpts and um, actors can read the script and say oh I actually like this role for example and then someone basically send you a message saying like I'd like to read for this role um, then they can through this like online portal send you a video of them yeah. reading a certain bit I think I put up like a couple of characters that we still had left to cast and then wasn't really sure what would come of it on this site casting called Pro and then woke up the next morning and there were 150 applications in Whoa. my Gmail. Some of them with video attachments of them reading the script and stuff and it's like, and it's simultaneously, you feel like, you feel bad that there's so many people looking for unpaid work like that and you don't want to be exploitative but at the same time it's great that there's so many people who are out there just looking to do it like for the, for the love of the project and, mm. and for art and yeah. It was really validating because I think at the point when you've got a script you don't know if you're going to have a film. You know, it's one anyone can like get together with a mate and write a script about. You know, wouldn't it be cool if this character did this? And these are very relatable scenarios. But at that point, you do not have a film. And when actors started sending in videos of themselves reading parts, it starts feeling more tangible. And actually, we got a bit of momentum then. I certainly did. Like it went from being something that might happen to we're making a film. Mm. People want to do this. So that point was incredible um, and made it all more all the more real. It's almost really like because so. it's it's you're not just letting yourselves down if you don't do it. You've got this whole oh, unit yeah. of people. Yeah, that's that's community. massively it. Yeah, you owe it to yourself, and not just like uh, people, but like locations as well. Like um, one of the places we shot at was this place called Red Church Brewery. It's like one of me and Chris's favorite hangouts. Um, really great place to go and drink beer, and mm. it's one of our favorite spots. And they let us film in their brewery. They just opened it up to us, and they were like, they're, they're very cool relaxed people and they were like yeah of course you can shoot on this day. yeah like as long as you're out by five and we open it as a bar like that's fine right like, and you want to need to pull pints during the shoot that's fine they were yeah. really accommodating it was that's really terrific. Nice. and you know you've got at one point we had like 50 60 people on set you've got a responsibility to um make sure we get what we need certainly for the film but also that people are having a uh, an enjoyable experience mm. and that ultimately it's worth it so you you want to get 
the shot that absolutely makes it the best it could be. Yeah. So we weren't just taking the first take every time. We were like, no, no, we can do that slightly better. And, um, you know, DOP, Kyle being very, very patient. But, um, yeah, I think I think the more you sort of take on to set, the more you owe it to everyone on set. Mm. Speaking of Linklater before, <laughs> uh, have you seen the film Everybody Wants Some? Have you seen I've never seen that. I watched. Oh, I think I watched half of it on a plane, which is my, which is bad of me. I need to pick it up. You do. Properly. I think. I think. I think you would would like that film certainly. But there's a, a lot of party scenes in that film where you can just tell they're having such a good time. Mm. You guys having the pressure of having to direct those scenes was it kind of less of a fun time, more kind of like right, we need to get this done. It was funny actually. Mm. So like the the scripted scenes at the party where you, all the extras had to be obviously completely directed by one of the ADs and exactly what they were doing. That was a bit more of a nightmare. Mm. But we then had this moment where we were in between setups, I think moving from like the living room to a kitchen and in between all of the extras, you know, some of which were our friends, were just drinking beers and like having a good time and throwing things around. I just like, we just whispered to like the camera operator, like, do you want to just go and skirt around that quickly? And he just, and obviously it wasn't like it was clandestine because you could see a camera going around. So people knew what was happening, but they just let it happen mm. and tried to continue just having fun as they were. And we're like, right, we can just get all the crowd shots like by doing this. That's true. And that was really, that was really cool actually because you can't get a more authentic feel for a party than that than if people actually just having a party and you just <laughs> go around with a camera. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I know what I'm like. I'd be like, wee. <laughs> I'd be, I would have been awful. I think it's a good time to say me and Jack, we actually we have a cameo in the film. Yeah, we do, yeah, don't we? Do, yeah. we yeah. Blink and you miss it cameo. Very brief. Just, uh, what are we? We're like Facebook friends. No, we're on their, their, you're on your their version. Of, we're on your dating yeah. app. Yeah. 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 <laughs> your, is it a fictional dating app in the film? It is, yeah, yeah. just because we weren't sure about rights for yeah. that. But, um, <laughs> yeah, our pictures, we, 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 we were happy to get Unfortunately, because of the narrative, you guys had to be swipe lefts, but that was only by, <laughs> by necessity. Otherwise, you know, you guys would have been I mean, a, a like all day long. She's a sensible character. She's a sensible, <laughs> sensible character. She senses trouble. Yeah. <laughs> What do you want? What do you want people to kind of when they see the film? What do you want them to go away thinking, feeling? I was delighted that people related with it. Um, I, a friend of mine from Germany came and watched the film, and he hadn't, he w wasn't involved in the um, the making of it. He was seeing it for the first time at the screening, and he kept laughing uh, his big loud German laugh during <laughs> the film. And afterwards, he came over to me. He was like, "So much of that is exact conversations that I've had with my girlfriend mm. and situations I've been in," and gave me a big old earnest hug. Aww. And that was just wicked. Yeah. Like, mm. and so now we're sort of like putting it out there a bit. Um, people, sorry to jump in. But people saying it made them feel uncomfortable was like the biggest compliment I think because yes. people, everyone's going to come up to you and say it was good to just like save your feelings. But you know, if someone was like, "I found that really hard to watch," like you know, you've it's resonated with them on a yeah. I guess that's, I, I don't know, um, I think that that's all you can really ask for. If people get what you were trying to put out there, that's the ultimate reward. Like, if people say that they found a certain bit awkward and me and Chris know how much we tried to make that very, very awkward for that character, mm. or um, there's an argument where two characters literally argue about the emojis they use. And like, somebody said to me like, oh my God, I've actually had that exact argument. Fantastic. Like, if we can put something out there that people actually have had similar experiences to, then like, that's a great goal for us really. Yeah. And what's the plan? What's 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 happening? Well, uh, we're just starting a festival run at the moment. We're going to see what we can do with it. It's like when when you're working with a no budget, there's kind of a a ceiling in a sense, really, because it's always going to look a little bit rough around the edges, and that's going to block you out of certain things from the get go. But um, yeah, just yeah, get out on the festival. See if we can get some distributions. See if we can get it out on VOD. Hopefully, for listeners who've made it this far, um, you'll have the chance to watch it if you're interested to at some point. But we'll see how it goes, and then see if people see the potential in it and 
next time around we could do something with a bit of money behind it and make it look, you know, absolutely top grade. And what's the running time again? The, the full running time? 60 minutes. 60 which is minutes, awkward because it's hour. neither a short nor really a feature. It's technically classed as a feature, but mm. you don't get many that short. So. Oh, really? Is that how it works? Yeah. Anything, according to like Ampus, it's like anything over 40 minutes is a feature, but mm. it's pretty short. It's a manageable feature. Yeah. Manageable feature. Well, I mean, if. We're for millennials with short attention spans. Yeah. Also, <laughs> you know, we're first time directors. So if our first one was three and a half hours, <laughs> there'd be a big collective sigh like, these guys. <laughs> There's actually a lot of festivals that won't accept features over two and a half hours. Fair play. Really? like, no. No <laughs> way. I agree. It's, yeah. it's a low investment, you know. You can say to people, ah, you got an hour? Yeah, you can watch meniscus. Yeah. <laughs> an hour is a good, good, good time, I think. Yeah. I was going to say it's quite ambitious going straight in for like a first film at 60 minutes. Do you guys didn't try any short films or anything first? It was kind of part of the challenge for me. I was just like, it's expected that you can do a short film and you can pull that off in like a short space of time. I was like, no, I want to put in the time and get, get a feature done because that's, it's a hard, it's like a, a lot of time and a hard thing to do. And I, I wanted that sense of pride of having finished something longer, I think. But mm. having said that, I now really want to do a, a short just so, because we did end up stretching ourselves really thin on a lot of elements rather than now I'd like to just do something where everything can be perfect because it's, you know, only 20 minutes and there's no reason to for it not to be kind of thing. Yeah. I, I don't think we didn't start with the format of like wanting to make an hour long thing. We started with the idea of having the um, the four characters and the split screen. And from there, it, it, it needed to be as long as it needed to be. Um, before Meniscus, we were planning on making something else entirely. We were going to shoot something in an airport that we just couldn't do because we couldn't find the right airport to film it in. So we ditched that and then we wrote Meniscus. Um, had we done the airport thing, that might have been a half an hour thing, yeah. I think. I kind of in the back of my mind had this thing as well when interviewed the Netflix CEO where he was like, we'll take things of you know whatever length and like even episodes in a season, like why not one be 15 minutes and the other be three hours? And I kind of had that That's in mind. I was like, well, why don't we just write it and it come out the length that it is? Why try and mm. restrict it to certain time limits? So exactly. Kind of that. So we're going to see Meniscus on Netflix, is that what you're saying? Yeah. That'd be great, wouldn't it? That'd be lovely. That'd be very <laughs> nice. Hastings, if you're listening. Yeah, really <laughs> Ted. Come on, guys. Well, thanks, guys, for um, indulging us with, with this. It's been fun to talk about. Oh, our absolute pleasure. I was going to ask Jack what his, what his final takeaway of the film is. Yeah, and be, yeah, give, give me your honest <laughs> takes. I need them. Oof. On the spot now, Jack. Oh, yeah. If anyone uh, can d give some harsh honesty, as Jack should. You really, yeah, it's true. <laughs> Oh. The harshest critic there is. Harshest critic there is. It's a big name to live up to. Um, <laughs> do, uh, it's difficult because I feel quite close to the project, even though mm. I wasn't like part of it, part of it, because you are. And I think in it, you, I could see bits of you. Yeah. As a, I, sorry, Dave, I don't really know you, but right. I, you know, I could see like there were certain bits of dialogue, especially where I was like, "That is such a Chris Hooten thing to say." <laughs> um, but there's, I think there was one line where it was like, "Oh." we're not static mites and static tights or something. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I can, I can see him saying that. So it's quite difficult to kind of take yourself away from that. But even, you know, everything we've said about it being relatable and just, you know, especially on the, on the budget it was on, it's an incredible thing that you've done. Mm -hmm. So, and you've actually gone out and done it. I think like I've been talking about doing like a short film for ages and only now am I finding going like, actually, I do need to do this. And But you guys have actually like said, oh, we're going to write a script and do it. And that's more than most people can say. So, yeah. And to get like proud. sloppy about it, it just it made me feel really good doing it, even if we don't do anything with it. Like mm -hmm. those days on set were some of the happiest I've had. Yeah. In period. So that's great. it's good to like I recommend anyone out there to to create 
because I think it does make you feel good. It's endorphins. I, I completely agree for two reasons. One, because particularly that last weekend of filming was like a, one of the best times of my life. It was incredible having all our friends around us, completing something. That feeling was amazing. But the second reason why um, uh, it feels great is, to your point, is like actually like do, setting out to do something and doing it, mm. which, I, which I think was also, uh, I mentioned earlier about like driving forces once you get started. That was a real driving force. Like, I can't not complete this. We wanted to make a film, so like not stopping until it was complete was where we were, our heads were really at. And um, the idea of like, can we write and direct a film was uh, a big like challenge. And the fact that we just went and did it, and that you know technically on paper we are now co-writers and co-directors of a film. <laughs> and like anybody who has an idea, um, like a short story, a short film, a band, whatever it is, which we've all had creative ideas, there's always that question mark of are you going to stop? And uh, we didn't. We just got it done. And yeah. Get out there and thing. do it is the takeaway. Yeah, do it, man. It's not that hard. No yeah. one can take that away from you. Yeah. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Something uh, a little bit different. Me and Jack have been, uh, had a little little project bubbling recently, which I know you, you guys know about, but if you don't mind us yeah, yeah. a little chat to, to we a far, talked about it and then a, we did it and we did it <laughs> absolutely to a far lesser degree <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but uh yeah we uh jack do you want to do you want to describe what we're doing um so jacob as I, you probably haven't i'm not sure if you have mentioned it on here before you probably have well i've definitely like apologized for jj abrams yeah, a lot more than any normal person would <laughs> but jacob's a bit obsessed with the tv show lost yeah, and uh, comes up on the desk in conversation most weeks, if not days. <laughs> most days, I would say, yeah. definitely. Yeah, it does. And um, I've never watched it before, which um, was a which was a crazy, crazy notion to me, <laughs> considering his name <laughs> is you Jack Shepard. I love Lost. Oh, I did lo- love it when it first came out. I haven't okay. rewatched it like I imagine you guys probably have, but I was very, very into it. Yeah, I watched two seasons with my dad and then dropped the fuck out of that. <laughs> <laughs> so Chris is no longer part of his own podcast. <laughs> So I, basically, I, I realised that Jack, he shares a, a name with the lead character, for Christ's sake, and I realised that he had never seen an episode. He knew nothing about it, which I find that quite rare, quite rare 
even if you don't watch Lost, you know things about it. And for me, I've watched it uh, seven times. And I, yeah, which is which is balmy. But the one thing that I love more than rewatching Lost is watching it for someone who's never watched it before. So I managed to strong arm Jack into agreeing to watch every single episode from podcast, podcast and, and talking podcast. about it on a podcast yeah. after every episode. Every episode. Do you wow. realise what a gruelling task you've put ahead of you yet? And how many episodes have we got? We, well, in all of, of Lost. Of Lost. I think it's like, there's 114, 115. How many have you watched together? We've watched 10. <laughs> yeah, we're 10 down. I mean, yeah, it's quite, I've never watched this show before and now I'm promised to watch 140 episodes. It's quite uh, intimidating. <laughs> but do you know what? We were out for beers the other day and Jack was basically like, all I want to do is watch Lost. And I, for me, that's uh, job done. Uh, and, it and then we me, did watch it. And then we did. <laughs> and then we, we were drunk and watched it and didn't record the podcast. So we need to probably rewatch that. But uh, I'm really glad that Jack didn't hate it and now just feels hamstrung into 140 <laughs> yeah, episodes. That would have been probably um, like a more fun listener <laughs> a more fun listen yeah, um, yeah if he hated it I would love to listen to a podcast where you're begrudgingly there week yeah. week getting back with Jack some mental yeah. torture <laughs> but no, no. We, we, we are I mean we're called The Lost Boys which was a which, fantastic name it is and it is courtesy of I've got to say my girlfriend who gets peed off because I is don't it? ever it is <laughs> she's like yes she wants when we start getting hopefully things start picking up look at me getting ahead of myself <laughs> I will say is we the other day we got a um, we got an email from a cast member who would like to appear on the show. I'm not going to say who just yet in case it doesn't come off, but things like that are happening. That's lovely. We're, we're yeah, it, it, cool. for me as I mean I was next level obsessed when I was younger. I'm it's it's really fun for me to do, and I'm just happy Jack's really Actually, up for doing it. Funny story on Friday night when uh, the guy who plays John Locke tweeted at you wow. saying. Uh, and Jacob, the first thing he did was text me and go, oh my God, oh my God, what should I write back? What should I write back? Like, I was like, I had a signed picture of him on my wall when I was 13. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, the, the old ball did. John Locke on his wall. <laughs> Terry O'Quinn. <laughs> I was like, what are you doing? <laughs> but it, it, I, it lives and dies by Jack, basically. I think there's so many lost rewatch, or, or rewatch of all these things out there, podcasts um, of lots of TV shows. Um, and I think without Jack's kind of willingness to delve into this crazy show that people do enjoy mugging off. Without him, it wouldn't work. So it's, As a, it's I think, I feel like the, you ever listen to those like Ricky Gervais podcasts with Carl Pilkington? Of course. I think I'm the Carl Pilkington in this situation. <laughs> like the guy doesn't know anything <laughs> and he's just going, I have no fucking idea what's going on. But I, <laughs> I like how esoteric the idea is. And I think, yeah, I think you will find people who are involved in the production of like Lost who will be like, oh shit. It's cool that they're doing this. I want to revisit this with these guys yeah. who are into it. Hopefully. I hope so. Uh, but yeah, no, if, if anyone does want to listen along, we yeah. are The Lost Where is Boys. It available? All good providers <sighs> of podcasts. iTunes and SoundCloud. iTunes yeah. and SoundCloud. So and well, we just need those subscribes and those rates, really. Because yeah. we just want to. There's a lot of random little Lost podcasts that have been rolling around since it was on. Um, but we want to we alert people that we are new. We're and giving better, fresh insight. And, you know, like. We do little spin-offs. Jack interviewed JJ Abrams the other week. Cool. You know, for the Cloverfield Paradox. So we're going to talk about other projects that people who are affiliated with Lost are, nice. are a part of as well. That's nice. So it's not just exclusive to Lost. So yeah, please do do listen along. Cool. Good for you guys. Well done for getting it sorted. Thank you. Cheers, mate. And well done to you guys for making it damn <laughs> <film. laughs> Right, well, let's let's this circle never jerk going on circle here. Jerk <laughs> <and> <laughs> talk about something that actually has a budget and is finished to a high quality. <laughs> which is the Academy Awards. The Oscars. Yes. Um, the freaking Oscars. Yeah, so I, I kind of wanted to do a little discussion with you guys about, um, about acting 
at his most elemental level, really. And I think we've talked about it before and how, um, you know, when award season rolls around, um, awards often end up going to people playing historical figures um, and particularly roles where they have to look very different. And so, uh, you know, the most recent example being Gary Oldman winning the BAFTA for playing Winston Churchill in The Darkest Hour. And, um, you know, looking through looking through the winners from the last years, um, with actress categories, it's not such a thing because obviously there aren't, there haven't been obviously as many female women in positions of power. Therefore, there aren't, haven't been as many films where people have felt that their stories are deserving. Um, so if you know, I mean, but even then there's still, you know, there's exceptions to that. So in 2006, Helen Mirren won for playing Queen Elizabeth II. Mm. The next year, Marion Cotillard for playing Edith Piaf and fair play she was great that was a great performance Um, 2011 Meryl Streep won for Margaret Thatcher but it's in um, Best Actor where it's it's really happening a lot so you know you've got 2014 Eddie Redmayne won for playing Stephen Hawking Uh, the year before Matthew McConaughey for Ron Woodruff not such a well known guy but still a real guy Daniel Day-Lewis a fantastic actor won for Abraham Lincoln his best performance I don't know Colin Firth in 2010, one for playing King George VI in The King's Speech. Sean Penn in 2008 for Harvey Milk. 2006, Forrest Whitaker for playing Idi Amin. The year before, Philip Seymour Hoffman playing Truman Capote. The year before that, Jimmy Fox playing Ray Charles, even though that was the year that DiCaprio played Howard Hughes, which I think is his best role. Mm. So, yeah, I don't know what you guys' thoughts are on this, but I I think there's something to be said for not confusing or like conflating good acting with impressions and doing being like transformative um and not confusing great makeup and hairstyling and well i don't know what do you guys what do you guys think is makes for a good performance a good where you're like that is well acted it's very difficult it is um go on dave you're a director you should know Technically, I am. Yeah. Um, I guess honesty and like something that's true to God. I'm, this sounds like I'm um, pushing my own film here about honesty and like true stories <laughs> and, and feeling relatable. But yeah, I kind of don't really care who the character is and whether they're coming from like a position of me knowing them or not. Um, performances are idiosyncratic things. You might like them for like one particular niche little reason. Um, I do worry that like some some films of that ilk get overpraised because the portrayal is realistic or close to what people know mm. a historical figure oh that's exactly how he walked or that's exactly how she spoke and that's mimicry rather than necessarily being that's, yeah that's what fascinates me about it because like when you think about an actor signing on for a role and the work they've got to do before it gets to being on set if uh, presumably you know if it's something like Winston Churchill your job is like a research one you're like right I'm going to go and look into this guy I'm going to watch back endless you know videos speeches everything I can to try and get in that in that mindset and in that body feeling and the way of moving and everything and that's obviously difficult to do but I mean take for example you know I would this year in the Oscar running I would like Timothy Chalamet to win for Call Me By Your Name or Daniel Day-Lewis to win for Reynolds Woodcock mm-hmm. in Phantom mm-hmm. Thread and those are both examples where they've just been okay you know they, they, they might be adapted like Call Me By Your Name was but those situations people have just created from scratch no character you know existed other than beyond the page and they've brought them to life and made them feel like real people mm-hmm. and i always think i value that more it is about it's all about well for me it's all about the authenticity of it and mm-hmm. so this year for instance one of the great performances i think was Robert patterson in good time 
yeah. and he just seems that authentically like some bozos like living on the streets of New York or whatever like you you believe him and he's just created that out of nothing basically he's made this larger than life character who is just so mesmerizing and you're right both those people you've mentioned especially Daniel Day-Lewis in Phantom Thread he's created someone who you believe and there must be surely like the imagination an actor must have to do that rather than just watching old videos of Winston Churchill and going oh I really need to nail this and really need to you know you're right when you said mimicry it feels more like that rather than a creation of something new and something where you really do have to do your you do research but in a different way you know mm. you kind of do the research and you take that in but you don't just uh recreate something i think daniel Kuyula, he Kuyula, yeah. he said something really good he said when you rehearse before kind of acting um it was in that video we we put on the independent um, black panther, yeah. yeah for black panther he was saying you know you 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 kind of practice and practice. You don't necessarily you learn the lines. You just practice and practice. And then when you're in front of the screen, it's like like a musician how they practice and practice, and then you kind of play it out on the day at the gig. Or if you're a football player, you kind of that's all the practice put into it, and you perform there and then. And so he, you know, you basically are living that character. And that's in Get Out. That's someone he's created, mm. or at least he's taken someone's creation and done it. So I think it's. I think yeah, because I think. I don't. I have no problem with people playing famous figures, no, of course. And no. I think I think Gary Oldman is is terrific in as Winston Churchill. And I, I, the problem I have is I kept forgetting it was Gary Oldman, which is amazing and impressive. But I'm fully aware that it's Winston Churchill. And for me, I just really, really appreciate roles more when I kind of remember an actor playing someone who is an original creation. Yeah. For example, like just to to to, to say one example got loads but Oscar Isaac as Lewin Davis in the Coen Brothers film inside mm. Lewin Davis who didn't even get nominated but whenever I see him now in anything it, it, it helps I love that film a lot but I don't think I would love that film as much without him in that role it's funny that you mention um saying like I forgot that it was him because that's the like kind of the cliche that people always associate with good acting they, they always say like oh that part I forgot it was this actor mm. you know that's not necessarily what you want no, I was, exactly. it really stuck with me when I was going back to when I was doing some acting training and maybe it wasn't like popping for me and then trying to be someone else and then the, the tutor said to me you will always be yourself you you are yourself playing that role and you bring you bring your you-ness to the role mm. and i think that's like important so it's not about l losing the actor it's about yeah if you're still feeling like the actor's performance and it being memorable for that reason and it's that, also that's exactly sorry um, that's exactly what i was saying earlier about like so I don't, if, if a performance is just matching what we know to be true about a historic figure, I don't find that terribly interesting. But if you can bring your own spin on something and make it interesting, um, that's incredibly cool. And I think probably the best example of that in recent years would be um, Natalie Portman in Jackie, which was a bonkers yeah. film. I didn't actually love I didn't it like as that a film. film but she was, no. she was good, wasn't she? I actually saw that with you. Yeah. Um, I, I, I didn't love that film, but it haunts me. Yeah. And her performance was, um, you know... She completely made her own thing of it, um, in that she was she had so much going on in her facial expressions and her eyes that were so personal to the actress that we know Natalie Portman to be. I thought that was so impressive in such a mature performance. Whereas, like, if she just stuck to researching videos of Jackie on YouTube and tried to mimic exactly, I, mm. I wouldn't be as impressed. So, yeah, fair play to her for bringing that sort of um, so much to it. Mm. You know, I think 
that's the challenge if you take on um, a fictional picture like that. You need to bring your own stuff to it and yeah. make it true to life so that everyone appreciates that that's what you're representing, but then put your own thing on it as well. I think DiCaprio does that well as well with oh man. Like J. Edgar, you know, he makes that his own. Well. God, I hate that film though. <laughs> that's my, that is my, the only DiCaprio film I actively dislike. Really? Yeah, Clint Eastwood. I just think he's useless now. It's funny you say that, Jackie. I rewatched it the other night, and I really like that film. <laughs> so having conflicting opinions on yeah. it, I I really enjoyed that film, and I think it helps that the film is so strange. Like it is such an odd beast yeah. as a film, and I think that helps when you've got someone who's just doing not the not the out and out biopic or like Darkest Hour is. I like Joe Wright a lot, but it is very by the numbers, I guess. Um, but uh, his performance is a lot better than the film. It is, it is. I think it's well directed and stuff, but I think the film itself is just slightly unremarkable. But you for know me, what? It's in when in, sorry to jump in, in those in those biopic films, you know when at the end, um, after it fades to black and then it goes like so and so, seven years later went on to do this <laughs> and this. After it goes through those, I want him to say read more on Wikipedia. <laughs> That's just how it kind of feels. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it, should, it should just say if you want to know what happened seven years later <laughs> visit this website I guess it's like the opposite of like Scorsese films because Scorsese films always feel like great novels like great fiction such bonkers characters so deep and then actually if you compare it to biopics they're just kind of you know, facts often are a bit more boring than fiction. And Tarantino mm. as well, you know. It's like oh, he's, yeah. He's making a film around Charles Manson, but you know it's not going to be a, a Charles Manson biopic. It's going to be a weird, idiosyncratic thing about LA in the 70s. Yeah. Um, it also brings to mind, I, was, I saw an interview with Guillermo del Toro this morning where he's talking about casting Sally Hawkins in The Shape of Water. And he says when he casts an actor, he doesn't look at what they say. He's not interested in how they deliver their lines. He just looks at them when they're reacting to other lines or when they're just, that's that's when he's looking at the performance and that's such a world away from the kind of stuff that we're talking about in the kind of performances that we see getting mm. perhaps overly awarded. Yeah, that's interesting. Because what we should say as well, like the, the people who play real people who um, like exist, but they're not that famous, who've been part of like a, a traumatic experience. I mean, for example, Tom Hanks as Captain Phillips, which I think is one of the final 20 minutes of that, I think is 20 of, the finest minutes Tom Hanks has ever given on the screen. Um, that's fine. That's because it, it, again, you don't know that you don't have a point of reference, and they're bringing something else to a role. Even though they've probably definitely spent a lot of time with that person to do them ju the justice they deserve. You know, so it's not just it's 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 kind of exclusive to people that to famous historical figures. But I just for me, it's someone who like you kind of when you think about the actor, you think you automatically just think of the role that they've played, like Ben Mendelsohn. Oh, I love Ben. Mendes. Who's incredible. Yeah. But like he's played so many roles and so many different like roles of like various disposition. Like he's terrifying or you just want to give him a cuddle. Um, he's always know, vulnerable a little bit. Yeah, always vulnerable. But then in, like, in Animal Kingdom, he's so scary. But he's, like, he's not in it a lot, but he plays the uncle, right? And he's, he's terrifying. That when yeah, I, I, I got to interview him once and it was incredible. It's like I just got to chill with him like in a park for a few hours. And I was just on the edge of my seat the whole time because I was like, I feel like you're just going to jump into that character right now. That's like an original, yeah. And he, it was probably based on someone, like just not just not a well-known figure. But uh, if I'm you bring like your own... I'm so glad you mentioned Ben Mendelsohn. Um, I, I was considering mentioning him earlier. He's, he's like the antithesis of someone just like flatly playing someone from, from history. His, his, his performances always jump out at me. Like, there's this... He's he's that um, the older character in the place beyond the pines. Yeah. Sort of like he's the guy who won't go on the uh, the extra bank jobs. Um, he's he's given a bit of sage advice. He's the old worn out dog. Um, but there's something about his performance where he, he just has these lines that he delivers. Like there's this bit when he's 
Um, I don't know if it's a spoiler or not. I presume everyone's kind of seen Place Beyond the Pines, but like, it's, it's old now. It's, it's very old. Go for it. Yeah. So um, it's it's he used to ride with Ryan Gosling, and um, he's now talking to Ryan Gosling's son, and he's describing um, how Ryan Gosling's character was when he rode motor motorbikes, and he just says, "Best, best," and he keeps saying it in this really idiosyncratic way. That's come completely from Ben Mendelsohn's performance and the way that he's interpreted this guy. Mm. And every time I watch, I've watched it a few times, you watch it back, that scene is so compelling and so honest and so real. Mm. And I think Ben Mendelsohn's someone that absolutely typifies that kind of actor that I really like. Someone who's going to bring so much character to the role. I, I can't believe you met the guy. Like, he, uh, yeah, it was a few years ago, and it was like early on in like I was like I was just staring at him in disbelief uh, just the whole time. He was like, "You're right, mate," and I was like, uh, "Yeah, yeah." He was like, "I'm starting Rogue One tomorrow." I was oh, like, geez. "I didn't even know you were in that." Um, the uh, it's, he absolutely does what you said. You like you, you mentioned Natalie Portman as Jackie. It's, yes. it, she brings something else to it. He's in Darkest Hour, Ben Mendelsohn playing King George, the role oh, that right. Colin Firth won an Oscar for, and he's so odd in the role, and he's so great, and he's almost better than Gary mm, Oldman. Good. But um, so he he completely uh, taps into what you were he saying before. A, he's not nominated for a supporting actor. No, he's not. He's only in it for a few seconds. It's not a lot. Yeah. yeah. But I was going to say another biopic from this year, I Tonya, with Margot Robbie. I think she's really great in that yeah. as Tonya Harding, and it's just so weird and funny. Mm. And just I know that film's got a few issues, but I think that's a great one. I think that's a really good example of kind of taking a character and doing something a bit weird with it. Yeah. Um, Especially as that film's very meta as well, in the yeah, rather like, than a straightforward like recounting or reenactment. But I think that that's way more interesting. You know, it's been another example of that from this year was Disaster Artist, which was a bit odd. Yeah, and obviously James Franco, I mean, he was hyped a lot beforehand, and then stuff happened. Um, but it's quite interesting. He that was still quite a good, that was still a good performance. I yeah, still like that film. Yeah, no, it's true. Well, yeah, as much as I'd like to see Timothée, Timothée, Timothée? Win, um, I mean, hopefully Francis, I think Frances McDormand's going to win Best Actress. Right? She is. And that's a She'll definitely very original that. part. So. Yeah. Then I'd like to see Sally win, but yeah. yeah. I would too, actually. Yeah. But Frances is great and she'll give a great speech. She will. Yeah. So, and what yeah. did Madonna say? That only Frances could play that character? Yeah. There's, there's something in that, like finding the perfect actor for the perfect role mm. is... is um, a really commendable thing and maybe mm. she deserves it just for that for like playing someone that she's so well suited to playing mm. you said he wouldn't ma he wouldn't have made the film had she not been yeah she accepted cool. which is yeah special special all right well i just think we'll wrap things up um, yeah thanks yeah again for Our going pleasure. on this tour with us around the film um yeah jack jacob thank you you're very right. welcome thank you guys and thanks thank dave for us. coming coming on down nice yeah, to have you on kernels delighted to be here <laughs> all right thanks for listening guys um as ever if you have any thoughts on any of all this and the acting on any fronts um drop us a tweet or an instagram or whatever kind of social media you crazy kids are using these <laughs> days um yeah at kernels mostly everywhere all right um yeah and we'll see you in a couple of weeks probably some kind of post oscars fallout and then we're going to have um, a live recording of Colonels coming up soon at the end of March. So we'll keep you posted on how you can get down to that if you're interested. All right. See you in a couple of weeks. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. 
Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.